I'm uh, at the foot of the ladder. The lamb footbeds are only uh, uh, depressed in the surface about uh, one or two inches, although the surface appears to be uh, very, very fine-grained as you get close to it. It's almost like a powder. Ground mass uh, is very fine. I'm going to step off the lamb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is your co-host, Pierre Rochard. I'm here with uh, Michael Goldstein and uh, with Gary Leland. How are you guys? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. In the middle of a lightning storm here in uh, this part of Texas. Michael, is your part of Texas doing okay? It's perfectly sunny. <laughs> and hot. And hot. It was hot here today. How's it up in New York, Pierre? It's beautiful. Yeah, I was uh, out on the beach today, so it's uh, it's a good time to be outside. But um, so there's going to be a lightning storm uh, next month in Dallas. Mm. And yes, 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 that's a good way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell tell us about. Uh, well, first of all, tell us about last year because last year I it, it was it really exceeded my expectations, which is hard to do for a conference. Um, but it's, it was a lot of fun and a lot of people showed up. So how did, well, let's rewind because you have an interesting story of how you got interested in Bitcoin in the first place. Um, and what, you know, your background was before that. Well, um, what do you want to get into that story? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I didn't know how far back we were oh, going. Oh, uh, we're going back to when Gary was born. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, it was in South Carolina. <laughs> you know, I, I've been in doing this stuff a long time, not Bitcoin, but uh, tech, you know, like I built my first uh, e-commerce site in 96. Uh, in 2004, I was probably one of the first 50 podcasters on the planet. And so I've always been into new things and people tried to get me into Bitcoin, maybe when it was like a hundred. Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't listen to them because they kept talking to me about it being like stocks, you know, like a financial deal. And that didn't interest me at all because I don't do stocks and stuff really. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not a big trader or anything. And then uh, one day I was at a conference speaking about some kind of marketing thing and I ran into Tony Sakala and he was talking to four or five other people about Bitcoin in a hallway. And I just stopped and listened to him and he was talking more about it as tech. And I was really interested all of a sudden when I heard the way he was describing it. Um, and so we sat down and talked, gosh, him and I went on one for two or three hours. And then the next day I came back just to talk to him because I wasn't going to come back at all. And we went to his house and he showed me his mining machines and 
you know, uh, what he was doing. And then I was at that point was hooked. And on the way home, I was listening, already listening to the podcast, you know, about Bitcoin, you know, trying to educate myself as fast as again. And then I decided, I think uh, two days later to start a podcast about Bitcoin, even though I knew nothing, because I've always believed that starting up, uh, doing a podcast is like the best way to learn. You know, you were one of our first guests, Pierre, you too, uh, Michael, but you know, if you start a podcast, you can actually call people up. You don't know who are experts and ask them your questions one-on-one. We're not experts, Gary. No. <laughs> no. Compared to the other 97% <laughs> of the population. Yeah. So uh, you were in podcasting before you ever heard about Bitcoin. And yeah. what, what was or what is or was your favorite podcast uh, not Bitcoin related? Up till that point? Yeah. A show called No Agenda. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, it's what's of, that? Well, it's uh, it's a weird show. It's got um, one of the people in the show is Adam Curry, who lives there with you, Michael, in Austin. Well, not with you, but in your town, Austin. He was a uh, VJ on MTV, Headbangers Ball. I don't know if you remember that show. Him and another guy who's a tech writer from... Um, used to be a computer magazine. I can't remember what it is. John C. Dvorak is his name. They do a podcast. It's like two to three hours. It's forever. But they, uh, they're they kind of more politically involved, but they hate everybody. I mean, they don't get them after Republican or Democrat. Whoever's in power, they hate. You know, so um, I always like them. They, they really bring out points. And he's a Bitcoin maximalist. I had oh, wow. a dinner with him during... Uh, an event. I went to Texas Bitcoin Conference in Austin. And we had dinner, and uh, someone had given him thirty-three bitcoins as a tip when it was fifty cents or a dollar or something. You know, for his podcast, uh, he he was the guy who invented podcasting. Actually, uh, when you get down to it, and um, I asked him, I said, "Have you cashed in those uh, bitcoins? Because they were you know, seventeen thousand dollars, maybe at the time or whatever." And he goes, "Nope, I'm not selling any of them until they're a million. That's so he's a big, yeah. He's a big believer. But that was that was a podcast I listened to on a regular basis. It was hard. It was three hours, two days a week, and I only drive fifteen minutes to work. So it was the only podcast I could listen to for the most part. It, do you put it on a one point five to speed it up a little bit? Yes, I do that can. with some podcasts, but I can't do that with all podcasts. Some of them are yeah, too some hard. you can, and some you know some talk too fast. If you do one point five, it's like two because they're talking fast. And some people you got to do it just to get it normal speed. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so I met Tony in, in Dallas as well. Uh, great guy, very friendly. And I wasn't surprised that, uh, he's, he's been able to evangelize and get more people interested in Bitcoin, um, because he's got an infe infectious way of talking about it. Um, so after you started the podcast, uh, what made you think to start a Bitcoin conference? Well, I do another conference, uh, called podcast movement. It's like the world's largest podcasting conference. We'll have 3,500 people in Florida this year in um, Orlando, Florida. Last year it was in Philadelphia, Chicago before that. It travels across the country. But actually I just sold my portion of that to uh, a radio corporation. So as of like a month ago, I'm no longer involved in that. But I had started the largest podcasting conference, let me say. And Tony also did a conference, a, a health conference. So we were talking and we said, gosh, we should start a conference. I mean, it was as simple as that. And we both uh, went to work on it. It was a hard conference to do last year, though. You know, uh, Bitcoin was going down. Um, we were new. We were really pumping off. We were 
you know, trying to get people to come. We were just giving out tickets. I mean, just to get people there. I mean, um, now this year has been a different story. This year, I think everybody was so happy last year that everybody was speaking positive about it. No one's spoken negative that I know to me. Everybody had a great time. And this year, tickets are really doing well. I mean, especially now, it's funny, the closer you get, the more, the better they're selling. I mean, that's always amazing to me because, you know, we go up every two weeks, but we only go up $10. It's not like we're jacking it up. We're trying to give people some kind of urgency because we want them to buy early. But the more expensive ones sell way faster than the cheaper ones, you know, when they could have gotten a deal, you know, so, yeah. but it's selling well, it's selling well. Sponsors are calling now, um, you know, trying to spot. You know, the thing about doing a Bitcoin conference, guys, it's a real Bitcoin conference. And I'm talking about like a Bitcoin maximalist conference, you know, that that's right. all we're talking about. Not it's a hard crypto, to find not a blockchain conference. Yeah, it's hard to find sponsors. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I've had to yeah. turn down almost everybody who's wanted to spot, who's wanted to sponsor, and because I also don't allow people to pay to speak. Right, that's a killer. We've had two or three people that fit the criteria to be a sponsor, and then they said, "Okay, that sounds good. How long do I have to speak?" And I said, "Well, you don't get to speak at all." And they go, well, "What do you mean? I've never heard of that." And I said, "Yeah, you can't speak. I mean, you know, we don't do pay to play." at this conference, we have you speaking because we're interested in what you said, have to say, not because you're giving us a bunch of money. So, and and someone told me, oh, a couple of months ago, they said, Gary, you're nuts. You know how much many people and how much money you could make if you like let those people pay, they'll pay a fortune to speak. And I said, maybe they will, but not here. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. That's why, and we're only 125 people. You know, we're not trying to make the world's biggest conference. We're trying to make the best. Right. You know, so, um, but that, that's yeah, kind of, so there's no fear of uh, having a Tron track. <laughs> no, no, it's not. You're not even going to be a Tron vendor. I mean, I've, like I said, every, and every day, it's weird. I, every day now, I get more people that are emailing me wanting to speak. And the conference is in six weeks. They think we wait this long to get any speakers? What are they like? I am with a marketing company for so and so, and we uh, would like to know if he can speak. I'm going, what kind of marketing company are you if you're like marketing them to conferences six weeks before it starts? I mean, to me, that seems kind of late. Maybe that's what other conferences do. Well, now they'll start asking about 2020, right? And yeah. They'll, they'll <laughs> go about it a little earlier. You know, I went to a Bitcoin conference this spring. It, it was a, a Bitcoin conference. I'm not going to say which one it is, but it marketed itself as a big Bitcoin conference. And it was two days and I was there a day and a half, I guess. And I don't think the whole time I was there, one person spoke about Bitcoin. Wow. Yeah. I mean, literally, I'm not just joking either. I mean, I don't think one person did. There may be some people that talked about wallets that included Bitcoin, but no one actually talked about Bitcoin. You know, well, Bitcoin's whole... so old hat. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Well, we have so much more incredible technology to work with these days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just amazing. Before you know it, this Bitcoin's going to be worth nothing. That's what I think. <laughs> you know, it's, going, it's just going down the toilet. It's a scam. So um, now I, I will say you were probably definitely not talking about the Bitcoin 2019 conference in San Francisco because that conference was just filled to the brim with Bitcoiners talking about Bitcoin. And I, I saw you at the beefsteak for that. Uh, that is not the conference I'm talking about. That was a good conference. And that was a great night. Oh, my gosh. Was that was that so cool having uh, Michael? Why weren't you there? 
Yeah, Michael, it's it's hard to get me to conferences. Okay. <laughs> it should make you feel better because you're able to lure me out to a Bitcoin conference. Well, to I be fair, it's in state. So I think that the bar is a little lower in state. Yeah, it's also, yeah, I mean, it's extremely hard <laughs> to get me to go back to San Francisco. Uh, that was, I haven't been there in years, but that rooftop meeting was so good with the the steak and we didn't michael we didn't have knives or forks or napkins or plates well steak is a finger food it was a finger food for sure and and everybody had uh big butcher uh aprons to wipe your hands on that was a great meal that was a great night i really enjoyed that met some great people talked bitcoin all night long i mean you know and that's that's great when you can talk bitcoin all night long and you don't have to hear people you know when tony and i started i was really just uh mesmerized with crypto and I was more of an altcoin guy, and Tony was a Bitcoin guy. And I just was into like trying to learn it all. But if, I think the more you get into crypto, and the longer you're in it, the more you realize that Bitcoin is the deal. You know, I think that you can kind of evolve. Maybe some people start as Bitcoin, Bitcoiners, but I started as like I just wanted anything, and now I mean, all I have is Bitcoin. I mean, you know, slowly over time, it's rolled into it. I, I think that I, I got uh, immunized with altcoins very quickly because yeah. at first I didn't know that there were any altcoins. And then the first argument I heard for an altcoin was about Litecoin saying that it was silver to Bitcoin's gold. And I immediately like that. Th that was an awful argument. Maybe if like the first the first altcoin I'd heard was like Ethereum. Oh, it's a world computer. Like that would have been like, oh, well, okay. Now there might be some substance to this and I'd have looked into it. I, I didn't know about scaling or anything like that back then. Um, but when someone told me it was the silver to Bitcoin's gold, I was like, you know, Bitcoin is divisible by a hundred million. Why would you need another <laughs> unit of count to, for small amounts? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, the, the other... She isn't small enough for you. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then the other arguments had just to do with, uh, you know, script as an alternative uh, uh, hashing algorithm, uh, which didn't even live up to its original intent of uh, being GPU resistant. Um, well, Michael, it's, it's not GPU proof, it's GPU resistant. So <laughs> big difference there, big difference. There. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting to see that this has been getting reflected in the market as well. Um, altcoins have been getting crushed relative to Bitcoin. And in dollar terms, they're, they're doing fine. Um, but relative to Bitcoin, we're seeing them go down. And, uh, you know, there's people are theorizing about what, what this is about, what's causing it, um, whether it's traders or it's just like a cyclical thing. And I really do think that um, prices eventually do reflect fundamentals. And they do eventually reflect the fact that people just kind of, lose interest in something that's like illiquid uh, and is also just not always promising another technological breakthrough around the corner, but then never quite delivering on it. I think you're true. I, I think um, I think Litecoin to me is an example of that. They aren't delivering anything. <laughs> I mean, going back to your first statement there and, you know, the guy who invented it, Sold all his Litecoin. I mean, when it was at all time high. To me, I mean, everybody always says he's a great guy, but that's really suspicious to me. I don't know if it's suspicious is the correct term. It's weird. It's you weird. Know, yeah, yeah and I don't buy the argument that he was like trying to not have a conflict of interest. Like it's kind of the opposite argument of the uh, skin in the game, you know, argument. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
but uh yeah i i i don't know he 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 seems to me it's not that he's a great guy it's just he seems innocuous enough to me no, <laughs> like, i actually hear, hear people all the time say he's a great guy okay i mean i really do that they really i, I, have I gotta take their word for it and he's you know he's nice well, i don't think they've met him i don't think they've met him i just think that they oh yeah i mean he, he, he bought me sushi back Did in like, 2013 uh but that didn't win a, win me over to litecoin hey i uh, saw you i saw <laughs> you speaking at a conference a video the other day of you speaking at a conference and it must have been like 2010 uh, in uh Austin. Well, i think that one was 2013 in atlanta uh yeah this you, one, i had i'd gone to a conference in vegas uh then a couple months later um well you already look like a kid so you can imagine how you looked in that video oh yeah yeah <laughs> you looked like you were still in eighth grade in that video it's a good way to flex <laughs> on people with my bitcoin knowledge hey you know what i'd like to talk about you know for a second here we talked about you know me getting into bitcoin and we talked about uh a, which was a great conference bitcoin 2019 in the dinner but i'd like to talk about the upcoming uh, Satoshi Nakamoto Institute dinner, which last year kicked off BitBlock Boom and was fantastic. That was like, to me, one of the hits of the whole thing. It started it off great. Uh, I'd like to know what's the scoop, what's going on, dude. Yeah, Michael, tell me, where's uh, it well, at? Or, or not well, where it's at, but what kind yeah, of restaurant is it at? Well, so this year, uh, by some popular demand, uh, we decided to go with uh, a bit of classic Texas hospitality and. Uh, we're going to be doing it at a uh, renowned Dallas barbecue joint. I talked to Bitcoin sign guy today, and that's what he told me. Yeah, yeah. Well, because uh, there, there were people, uh, we have a lot of people traveling in from out of Texas. And for those people, they have the feeling, you know, you can get a steak at a steakhouse anywhere in the country. Uh, but you have to come to Texas if you want some real barbecue. So all of them are itching to get some real barbecue while they're in Texas. And I figured this would be a great opportunity uh opportunity to deliver that uh, so we're going to be doing it at a barbecue joint this year uh, a little a little less formal than last year you know last year we had such a you know fancy steakhouse but um which y'all closed the place down oh yeah y'all must y'all must have got kicked out of there because I, I, I left at 10 i made a mistake and drove okay so that i won't do again and so i had to leave at 10 while i could still drive and uh you guys i heard they, they asked you finally to leave yes yes <laughs> and we asked them to leave <laughs> <laughs> and and you didn't win the argument no <laughs> so i'm looking forward to that you know someone else i can't remember who it is is uh talking about i think they must have the site about ready to go it took a while bitcoin and bullets or something everybody going uh, out guns to a shooting and range and bitcoin yeah um that's uh ragnar well, I'm waiting for him to get the site up so I can put it on the uh, page. Because, you know, what I've been, I don't know if you noticed, what I've been trying to do here is I want to make this like a whole event, not just, I don't want to be just my event. You know, if you go to the site, you see the BitBlock Boom event, but you see Tone Vase's event on Friday. You see Pierre's event on Friday. You see the SNI dinner on Friday. You see Bitcoin and barbells, Jeff's event on Thursday. His event sold out. And then uh, I want to add the the guns and Bitcoin. I'd like to have a whole bunch of stuff going on, you know, where people can come down and spend three or four days doing stuff down here in Texas about Bitcoin, you know, where I can go to some of the events. You know, I'm not working the whole time. 
I think that'd be so great. I think it's I think it's looking that way kind of to me that we're kind of doing that. Yeah. Well, everything's bigger in Texas, as they say. We're making sure of it. Um, and there there are still a few tickets left. Uh, we're running low on tickets. Uh, but for those listening, uh, you can uh, apply for a seat at uh, nakamotoinstitute.org slash events. Um, granted that you are not a shit coiner, which we will... Hey, I had a, investigate. Uh, I started a thing on Wednesday here called Crypto Coffee. Uh-huh. And it's a place I like to go to for coffee. So I just started said, hey, I'll go every Wednesday morning at 8 and put it on Meetup. And if someone wants to join me and talk about Bitcoin, they can. If not, I'll just bring my laptop and get some stuff done and enjoy a cup of coffee. And that, uh, two people joined me today, and one of them bought a ticket already to Bitblock Boom, but he was scared to apply for the dinner because he goes, well, I haven't been posted. From my understanding, check my background, my Twitter feed and my LinkedIn feed, and I haven't done any posting about Bitcoin. I said, what, what crypto have you posted about? And he goes, I haven't posted about any. And I go, well, you can probably get accepted. They just want to make sure you're not, you know. An XRP uh, shell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what I even said. <laughs> I said, they want to make sure you aren't promoting XRP or some crack coin like that. And so I think he might... Uh, uh, come back and uh, apply because he was scared to apply. Good. I, I hope he did. Uh, we'll we'll get an invitation sent out. Yeah, but that I mean, was the, a the great important thing is just keep you know you, you can quickly see you know you can go on someone's account and scroll down and if you see twenty tweets you kind of know where the person lies and um, you know it's it, it's it's okay to not be constantly obsessed with Bitcoin. Uh, you know, the purpose of having a, a good money is so that it enables you to go do other things in life. So, you know, I encourage people to have other interests. Hey, you know, uh, uh, nothing to do with BitBlock Boom. I want to talk about for a second because it's near you, Pierre. I'm not going to ask you, Michael, because you don't go anywhere. Um, Pierre, what is that magical crypto conference? I heard that was worth going to. Uh, so depends uh, how tolerant you are of altcoins. So oh, I heard you, it was like all Bitcoin this year. Uh, no, it, there were uh, premium altcoins also represented there, oh. uh, which I'm not a, a, a big fan of. Um, and so, yeah, I, I instead what I did is I organized a lightning workshop, uh, which was a lot of fun and worked out really well um, on, on that weekend. And then I went to uh, Consensus and spoke about Bitcoin and Lightning there because, you know, as Magical Crypto Conference, they've got their premium altcoins. You know, they got their Litecoin, their Monero, yada, yada. But Consensus is like, you, it's way worse than that. You know, they've, they've only got the blockchain technology. Um, I remember I was in the, uh, the um, Deloitte, uh, because I'm an alumnus of Deloitte, so I went to go check out their, their things, and I started talking with this person, and uh, he, he, so he's asking me, like, what I'm interested in, and I'm talking about Bitcoin, and he's like, oh, so you're just, like, asset-based. I was like, what do you mean, asset-based? He was like, well, like, we're using blockchain technology for, like, supply chain and for all these other uses. We're not really using it, you know, to ha have uh, a traded asset on an exchange. I was like, all right, I need to leave immediately. Like, this is not going anywhere. He's just but, not closed-minded like you are. He yeah, has, yeah. He has a vivid imagination and well, a he was visionary pretty, spirit. He was pretty closed-minded about 
asset based. I never uh, heard that term asset based. Uh, The the crypto assets. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard that term asset based. Um, Now, what was fun was on on stage at at Consensus, we were talking about Lightning and I was talking about some of the risks involved with, you know, you got to run a a hot wallet if you're uh, running a Lightning node and you know, there's concerns about the the software, how early it is, and all of this. Um, but then I said that you know the the way people lose money isn't from running a lightning node. It's it's from uh, hearing about like the next Bitcoin 2.0 altcoin that they go out and uh, buy, and then they get swindled out of it through social engineering. And uh, the audience like uh, nervously laughed. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people, I really do, make a trade. And then they go, oh, I made some money because they look at the fiat, you know, that they put in and got out. And then they go to get back in Bitcoin and find out that they are having to buy. They're getting less Bitcoin for the money because Bitcoin went up more, you know. So they have to their position is smaller now, even though they made money on a, another thing. I mean, you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tough market to be trading. And now there are people you, you yeah. get hit with the uh, tax bill. Yes. Right. You're a good citizen. Yeah, you know, because you get taxed on the dollars even if you lost money on the Bitcoin term in Bitcoin terms. Because you know, the IRS that, is not a Bitcoin denominated. Another yeah. thing I don't understand is um, buy and replace. You know, spend oh. your Bitcoins and then replace them when you do. So you always have, if you got one Bitcoin, as an example, and you want to buy those sunglasses, you buy the sunglasses for hundred dollars, and then buy hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin again, and so you never later can go. Oh, I bought that pair of sunglasses for hundred dollars, but now it's ten thousand dollars. I paid because you bought a hundred to replace it. Because when you buy the hundred to replace it, you pay fees, right? And then you had to pay uh, taxes on the profit, basically from cashing in the Bitcoin to buy the sunglasses. I mean, well, that's the other thing like is- deal to me. No, and and. Why not just not buy the sunglasses and buy Bitcoin with the hundred dollars instead uh, and keep accumulating? Now, there are things that one has to buy, but I still I to me, it's kind of the the argument of um, people will say that they don't want to spend their Bitcoin because its value is going to go up and they want to spend their fiat instead. That's where I'm like, well, if you spend the fiat on Bitcoin, then like you still have the same opportunity cost, um, but the transaction costs of spend and replace like does generally don't make sense unless the merchant refuses to accept any other money but Bitcoin, which I think we'll start seeing more and more of uh, in different contexts. But uh, we can talk about that as well because you yourself are you know you, you're deep in the e-commerce, right? And I have two brick and mortar stores. And, uh, you know, in the stores, you know, uh, my softball store, for instance, has a sign, um, we accept Bitcoin. And uh, after a year now, no one's paid in Bitcoin, but I bet we spent countless hours of them asking what is Bitcoin and the sales rep trying to explain it to the best of their ability, which they don't really know either. So (laughs) it's really not worth having the sign that says we accept Bitcoin because it's just costing me money. You know, the sales clerk being busy trying to explain to someone who's paying and has no Bitcoin what Bitcoin is. Yeah. Years ago, uh, a friend and I, you know, this is like 2013, 2014. We wanted to make a video 
<clears throat> where we'd go into, um, you know, retail establishment, a con convenience store, buy a soda or whatever, uh, and uh, ask them if they accept dollars. And when they say yes, and you're paying dollars, you know, be running out. It's like, oh my God, they actually fell for it. <laughs> they took our dollars. Um, I do wonder, uh, I, I'm interested to hear what you guys think, especially Gary being in like e-commerce. I mean, do you think that, I mean, I, I would assume that the first products to become, you know, kind of Bitcoin only will tend to be uh, niche items. Uh, whereas like these sort of fundamental things will always have, you know, prices in, in dollars as well, because kind of everyone needs them. I, I, I really don't know the answer to that. I'm just like, I sell a lot of different things and no one's buying with Bitcoin on any of my sites. And I sell a lot of things. I Now, I do have people who pay for the conference with Bitcoin, but that's only Bitcoin I've sold or I've used, gotten. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it'll just be an interesting question is like which, which markets begin to wall off their goods successfully um, in a sort of Bitcoin product productivity loop yeah, i think it's going to be like a very long time i think that this this current phase that we're in of people just accumulating bitcoin uh is going to last at least another decade um mm -hmm. and you know there will be like catalysts and you know big big bull markets and uh other maybe weaker fiat currencies get wrecked but it's just such a long process of getting people to accept a completely new money. Um, and you have to have like some critical mass of consumers that have wallets with Bitcoin for it to make sense for a merchant to be like, we only accept Bitcoin. We don't accept any other form of payment. Well, and even for them, they have to consider, you know, what are their liabilities and what do they have to pay with? Um, in which case they have to consider what transaction costs exist for themselves. Cause you know, if they, if they had to pay, you know, X amount of money to be able to, uh, turn Bitcoins into, uh, dollars for various liabilities and not enough people are even buying in Bitcoin, like th but these you are know, to consider as well. You know, there are sites out before I was using open a node for, uh, my shopping carts. I was using, I can't even think of the site now and it, it, gave you the option of you can get cash or Bitcoin. So, I mean, I would think a lot of sites would switch to that first, just accept Bitcoin, but it's converted immediately to cash and they just get a deposit in their bank of cash, you know, especially with the volatility of Bitcoin at this time. I would think most people running the store would be scared of that. Yeah. Hey, you know, I was, uh, when I came back from, this is off the subject again, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a good subject. When I was off on the plane coming back from Bitcoin 2019, the guy sitting beside me ran CoinSource out of Fort Worth. It's like a, they've got like 250, 300 Bitcoin ATMs. Um, wow. And he, they had put one in New York the night before the grandfathering ended for the bit license. And he was telling me just all these stories that were just funny as heck about him and these machines. But I asked him, are, do you just put those machines at crummy convenience stores? Because every time I've seen one, it's been at like this low down, low rundown convenience store in the bad side of town. I've never seen one like there's not one at the convenience store by my house. And he and I said, I was just wondering because the convenience store by my side of house, he loves Bitcoin. It'd be a good spot. And he goes, oh, if it's by your house, it'd be a terrible spot. 
And that's when I said, what do you only put them at, you know, bad locations? And he said, yeah, that's all they put them at. He said, most of the people that you, I didn't know this. He said, most of the people that use a Bitcoin ATM cannot open a bank account. That's why they use it. And so when they get their money on Friday and maybe they get a paycheck, maybe they get cash, but if they get a paycheck, they go to a place that they'll cash paychecks. Then they go to an ATM machine and put it in there so they don't go home with the cash and they don't have to sleep with it under their pillow or something like that. And the ATM machine is their bank. You know, if they need cash, they go up to the ATM and they get $5 or if they need or $10 or whatever, or if they need, if they can't find somewhere to pay with Bitcoin, they do. But that they don't use ATM machines to like buy Bitcoin to invest or necessarily, I thought they bought it to like send it to, maybe they were immigrants, you know, from South America. Maybe they wanted to send it home and use Bitcoin ATMs instead of uh, Western Union. And he said, no, the majority of them, from what they found, did it as a bank account. Now, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Now, they must be really happy when the price is like tripling in three months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 that's, that's nothing they're complaining about either. You know, and, and I don't know that they would, like today, you know, it dropped $1,000. I don't know if you'd feel it as much if you put $100 into an ATM. You, right. It dropped, it, it dropped, you know, 750 you know. Uh, but it had just gone up a dollar, $10, you know. But I just found that really interesting, the use of those, because I've always wondered. I've been to two, and like I said, both times, the guy that ran was working in a convenience store said, I don't know anything about those. All I know is there's a line there all the time. You wow. Know? And so evidently they're getting used. He said he was pulling out of the four out of New York a million dollars a week uh, at one point. You know, so I don't know. There's a lot of money in it. That's incredible. So I guess uh, Bitcoin is banking the unbanked. Well, he said that those ATMs are banking the unbanked. That is their yeah. bank. Because then that's how they get it on their phone. You know, then they can have it on their phone, you know, by using the uh, ATM machine and putting the cash in there. You know, and also another thing I found real interesting, too, that you might find interesting. We talked for like three hours and it seemed like 10 minutes. He, he said that uh, they follow, like if you, if you buy some Bitcoin from them, when you do it, you got to show your driver's license and stuff, and they do know your customer, KYC. But then he said they follow Bitcoin five hops. And if any of those five hops on the blockchain, when they're following the Bitcoin, they have a program that does this, does, goes to like someone with Al-Qaeda or someone who's on a watch list or something. Since they know who you are because they got your KYC, they cut you off. You can't buy Bitcoin again from them. So, Has that ever happened? I, I didn't ask that question. I, it must, he said that's what their rules are. That they, they won't they follow it for five hops. So after I thought about it later, I could buy Bitcoin and sell it to you, Michael, and Michael, you sell it to to Pierre, and then Pierre sells it to somebody, and then they sell it to someone bad, and I can't buy out the machine anymore, according to his rules. And, yeah, that means we need more on-chain privacy because that's kind of absurd. <laughs> yeah, right. Well. You know these these I there was someone from a some kind of terrorist organization who uh, they they connected bitcoins with and part of the issue is they were just using they were reusing an address um, so you know yeah there, there's one guy you know three hops from you if he's a bad person and then his evil friend does not know how to use bitcoin. Uh, you get punished for it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. 
Yeah, you can just be a guy minding your own business there. And then down with five hops, that's a lot of hops. Yeah, it is. Got to use that. I've had an interesting thing that they were following uh, the hops that you take. So I wonder if it, how they would react if it goes through like Wasabi, like CoinJoin, and if, if that causes them to be like, okay, well, that, you know, that's a strike, you know, like the, it's, but, or if they're like, well, okay, we'll tolerate that. So like whether mixers, mixing yeah. services. Yeah, you know, I'm going to have him on the show eventually. So, yeah, I'll ask him. About this yeah, question. ask him about mixing and a coin join. And how many people have they had to kick off of that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, like I said, it's off subject, but I found it an interesting topic. Yeah, I haven't had too much uh, experience with the Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, the first time I saw one, I think was... Uh, was it 2013 that we went to the Students for Liberty conference? Here? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so like the very early Lamassu ATM was there. Um, I remember uh, taking a picture of George <laughs> using it. Um, and uh, and I, I, I later used one of theirs uh, in late 2013 in Vegas. Um, I didn't gamble while I was there, but I did. That was the one like slot machine I did. Hmm. um play and it wasn't gambling because i always won well that's good still winning always came out so hey did you see the uh, bitcoin atm uh at bitcoin 2019 that they beat with the sledgehammer oh yes i did see that that was entertaining yeah do you know what that was about no i mean presumably they're trying to show that it's secure but uh i don't know that beating it with a sledgehammer is the uh I mean, it puts on a good show, but I realistically, I want to see them with like a blowtorch, you know, like some, some well, real equipment. Well, what, you know, I, I ran into a guy, oh, eight months ago. I don't know why I'm running into these guys with these ATM machines. I don't know what the deal is. And he had some in California. He had four or five and he was getting out of the business because he said people would come into his, whatever it's at, whatever store he had it at. And they'd come in and let's say they bought $5,000 worth of Bitcoin. Then someone come two hours later and rob it because they knew there was $5,000 in there. And so now they got the Bitcoin and the $5,000. That was the way they robbed the machines, he said, because they don't know how much money's in there unless they put it in there. And they don't want to rob it and there'd be $5 in there. So they come in, make a big deposit, buy a lot of Bitcoin, and then come break in and steal the money out of the machine. Scamming. And then they use, uh, then I read an article, another article about in um, Europe and the UK where someone walked into a store and smashed up the Bitcoin machine with a sledgehammer and uh, stole uh, all the cash out of it. So I guess that's a pretty common practice uh, for criminals that want Bitcoin free. Europe should make uh, sledgehammers illegal. Clearly, yeah. these are being <laughs> used as weapons. Well, it's, it's called stacking sledges. Instead of stacking oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Matt O'Dell's new thing. Yeah. <laughs> stacking sledge, sledging stats. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know why I haven't experienced ATMs. I guess I have like a banking privilege, you know, like I, I have a bank account, so I don't need to use the uh, Bitcoin ATMs. On the other hand, I am surprised that my bank accounts have not been closed. Uh, from buying Bitcoin uh, using it. Um, but I've heard of stories of people uh, getting shut down just from using Coinbase, like their bank account got shut down. Last week, uh, I transferred some money 
to an exchange and um, uh, maybe it was two weeks ago. And uh, my wife called me half an hour later and said, did you change the password on the bank account? And I said, no, I hadn't touched it. And she said, I can't get into the bank account. We've had that bank forever. And she gets on it like every day. And so she had to call the bank. We waited a while and she called the bank and they said, yes, it is turned off. I don't know why it's turned off. And uh, she gave them a bunch of crap basically and they unlocked it. So that was kind of odd. They said, that must have been an accident, the guy was saying. I don't know why I'm talking about a foreign accent. <laughs> but our account did get turned off. I mean, locked out. For yeah. And that's yeah. kind of weird. You know, that's your money in that account. And now all of a sudden you can't access it, even if it's for five minutes. It's ironic how that always reinforces the value proposition for Bitcoin. Whenever the banks are like, oh, we don't, we don't want you buying Bitcoin. It's like, well, all right, now this is interesting because <laughs> you, you think you have a say in what I do with my money. Uh, yeah, total cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, like uh, no one, I didn't put the money in there to have you be my watchdog for uh, how I spend it. This is, uh, you know, going forward, we're going to see more cell phones from, you know, banking uh, and government. It's going to be a whole self-owned theory of governance. <laughs> hey, do you think that when Bitcoin gets high enough in value and really starts making a difference, the banks will start trying to take over the exchange business because they've already got the clientele and they've got the money in the name. I mean, it'd be very easy for them to go, hey, we're in the Bitcoin business now. You could buy it here and store it with us because you're used to storing your money here. So, you know, you trust us. So, yeah, I mean, the next a, evolution is banks take over the Bitcoin exchange business. I, I think so. Like the first inkling of that we have is Fidelity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that TD Ameritrade was also looking at um, offering Bitcoin directly. And like those are, you know, they're, they're brokerages. They're not banks per yeah. se, but USAA um, integration with Coinbase. Uh, so yeah, I definitely see that happening. And now we'll see what I think we'll have is like a cleavage between the banks that are anti-Bitcoin and that like they understand that Bitcoin's bad for the fiat fractional reserve banking system that they've got the racket they're running. Um, and then other banks that are maybe more naive or or more sophisticated, like it's the galaxy brain meme <laughs> of, uh, you know, they're like, all right, we see where this is going. It's going to be Bitcoin only. So uh, we're going to add Bitcoin to our offering uh, just like Square did with the Cash App. Right. One way or another, though, they're not going to sit there when they see that coming, when it's like inevitable. It's, you know, to them that there's no way to avoid it. They're not well, going to say we're going out of things In the early stages, like, you they they can make money from selling bitcoin right like if they're charging a one percent spread or whatever and and at the same time it's not hurting the rest of their business it's a longer term thing of like eventually it would hurt the rest of their business if the dollar got wiped out and all of their you know dollar-based business got wiped out but th in the short term they don't see it that way which is fine by me I would also venture to say that any bank that is willing to uh, interface with Bitcoin in some way at, at any degree at the margin and perhaps increasingly so as time goes on, uh, those banks reveal themselves to be uh, sort of inherently better than the other banks just from a technological perspective, you know, because we've seen just how like it, the banks are so... Uh, 
like they use such old technology for everything um that like you know banking the the banking experience should not actually be as bad as as bad as it is today um but these people don't focus on that they're not building you know good apis for customers to build stuff to to interface with their own money uh but the kind of banks that would be um interfacing with bitcoin are the ones who would be thinking ahead on technology and also building better tools for their customer in other ways. But, you know, they're still using like Swift. How old is Swift? I mean, it's been around like what, since the fifties or something, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think we were joking about ACH recently and how, uh, you know, at least it's better than the original thing, which was literally just trucks meeting in parking lots <laughs> to, to swap bags of physical checks. You know, I one time I had a neighbor one time who had a company. He was a pilot and he had a company and his whole company flew plane loads of checks. Like they would fly a plane load of checks from here to Houston two or three times a day because they wanted to get those checks there as fast as they could because, you know, that's a lot of money in there and every day made a difference. That was kind of when you think about it, that's kind of weird. That's like you were just saying truckloads of cash. I mean, they're flying in physical planes, hiring charter planes to bring down bags of checks. Yeah, but Bitcoin transactions are extremely expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're slow. It takes it takes 30 <laughs> minutes to send a Bitcoin transaction. Can you believe it? Yeah, but that's so slow. Man. Meanwhile, it takes 30 minutes just to get the check on the plane. To... Yeah. Well, yeah, I flew with them one time. I'd never flown in a small plane. And we actually flew. And then on the way back, we had an empty plane. It was just and then, of, and then one of them could crash. You never know. With the checks in it. And they all catch on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd be out of a ton of money then. You're transporting checks around like that. So that's interesting. I didn't know that that's what they did. I figured they would like scan them in and uh they might them now back, this, fax them over back in the day. This was like in eighty three. Okay. So this was like in eighty three. So well, this was a while. I do think that we should give banks some credit in the sense that like we have mobile banking like on uh -huh. our phones, which is pretty that's like I was kind of impressed when that started coming out where you could you know do things on your phone. Um so uh, we should give them some credit there. And and then the other thing they've done too is where you can instantly send payments to other people who are like in the same either with the same bank or on the same like payments network um, which to me kind of kills the idea of uh oh bitcoin's value added is that you can send payments to other people it's like all right i can kind of already do that for the most part i understand there's some exceptions to that but for the most part i can send michael goldstein uh you know money on on the internet uh with chase which was but, like yeah, one of the you get libra yeah that's what i was about to bring up is like change libra nonsense well, is this, is this Libra ever going to even happen? I mean, you know, they I saw the other day, they said they're definitely not going into India. And I saw the U.S. is saying, hey, don't go any further until we talk to you. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think one good thing about it, though, is I was at the dentist uh, two weeks ago getting my teeth cleaned. And my dentist goes, um, she goes, Gary, you, you know about Bitcoin and stuff, right? And I said, yeah, yeah. And she goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Because she's never asked me anything. She goes, what do you think of Libra? <laughs> I was like, really? Uh, why are you asking me that? And she's like, well, I've been seeing all this stuff about it. So 
I think it is good. It's getting people talking about cryptocurrency that never had an interest in it at all. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think on that case, whether it happens or not, it's been a good step. I think even if it happens, it's probably a good step for Bitcoin. I think people will get used to trading it, even though they should be now because they do all their electronic checks and bills by electronics, but they get used to paying it. And then they go, hey, I want something that holds, that goes up in value or holds its value better. I mean, my, my take is, uh, you know, I always have advocated for Bitcoin Zen, uh, and there is no bad news for Bitcoin. So, yes, no matter what happens with Libra, it is good for Bitcoin. And, you know, though, Michael, anything's good for Bitcoin, according to you. Everything. Yeah. If, if, if I got hit walking across the street, you probably would come up with an analogy why it was good for Bitcoin. Oh, well, because then, you know, uh, you know, depending, I'm sure some of your coins would be lost. So the rest of ours would become <laughs> oh, more expensive. My phone might have got run over with some coins in it. And, uh, you know, then uh, then there's more lost. Good for Bitcoin. And I, I would go to your funeral and eulogize and some people there would hear about Bitcoin. And so it would just it. <laughs> now, okay, Gary, how, did you, how did you know about how, how did you know Gary? Oh, well, it's Bitcoin stuff. So what's Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I have to say that Gary, you're worth more to us alive than dead. So, uh, we'd really have to stretch things to make this good for Bitcoin. Well, that's good to hear. That's good <laughs> to hear. But you know, as, as we talked about when we first got together tonight, I am 64, you know, so I am an old fart, you know, so I may not have that much longer left. No, people, you've got like 30 years left at least. Which, oh, that's good. Enough. Yeah, you could easily see hyper Bitcoinization in your life. Well, that would be good. I would enjoy that. Yeah, that would be enjoy that because, you know, that's what I'm stacking sets for. See, I'm a still believer that's going to happen. I'm going to I'm going to make it to that. You know, I was talking when I was talking to a Bitcoin sign guy today, we were talking about stats, you know, uh, sats. You know, paying, you know, if you pay for something in sats, like, I don't know how many sats $10 is, but let's say it's 10,000 sats or something. I mean, it's a lot of sats. I can't do that math in my head. And that sounds like a, a hard thing to kind of like get custom. I want to buy a cheeseburger for 10,000 sats. But I think that's really the right direction that we're headed in because you really, nobody can comprehend, well, not nobody, but most people can't comprehend going, I'm going to pay 0.0000125 Bitcoin. People can't do fractions, most people. Well, I worked at a Bitcoin company in their accounting department, and it was a total pain in the ass to pay for things uh, using, because back then, like, Bitcoin was had so little value that we hadn't even conceived of the notion of using Satoshis. Oh, yeah. uh, but it would still be like, is that... 0.001 or 0.0001 and like it was very confusing and honestly like the user interfaces that the developers have come up with uh were not helping us at all uh so it was it was definitely troublesome compared to the ease of you know using satoshis even if it's 10,000 satoshis or 100 million satoshis it's still easier to say than 0.0001 right right it's easier to say but i'm telling you people uh, one of the questions I ask people that come to work for me is, what is a third of 100? <laughs> and because I want them to be able to do simple math if they're going to touch my money at the cash register. And yeah. if I ask 100 people applying for a job on the sales floor that question, 99 of them will just basically kind of stumble around and go, you know, math wasn't my best subject. And so I'm telling wow. you, I'm telling you, now it sounds unrealistic that that you go, oh, that's crazy talk. I don't believe that. And so, yeah, you can do 
fractions, but the majority of people walking around cannot do fractions. I'm telling you that, but the point, oh, if you were to say to someone, what is this number, 0.0012, they, they go, I don't even know what that is. It that's, sounds like they got a fiat education. Yes, yes, that's it, exactly. That's it, exactly. But most people are like, math wasn't my best subject, and you feel like going, did you take it at all? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I say sats are yeah. really, even though 10,000 sats for a hamburger sounds terrible, it's a lot easier for someone to understand the average person than 0.0001625 Bitcoin or something. I think a <clears throat> real life use case that um, uh, corroborates that is just, you know, there, there's plenty of countries today that have um, denominations like that. Like if I, if I understand correctly, like if you go to Japan, things are going to cost thousands of yen. Oh, I remember my, my dad bringing back a magazine from a business trip because it had like um, model airplanes and stuff and it had the prices in yen in it. And I thought to myself like, wow, things are really expensive <laughs> in Japan. Was it like explained exchange rates to me and I was like, oh, okay. All right. That's is that kind of like that Zimbabwe you know, with a hundred trillion dollar yeah, bill? Basically. Yeah. It wasn't that bad, but it was still like 500,000 yen for this, you know, figurine or whatever. Um, but the, the, the other thing, something that, um, w one of my relatives brought up recently was, uh, when the, when in France, when they went from the French franc to the Euro, um, they went kind of in the opposite direction where now like a unit of one became more valuable because it was, I think it was seven francs equals one Euro. And, um, what happened is that a lot of merchants like swept inflation into it and so like it was never quite like the official exchange rate um and instead uh people ended up you know seeing inflation there and i i think that like bitcoin is is the opposite dynamic and we'll have like essentially people getting deflation swept into the uh, exchange rate and then coming out ahead you know uh going back to zimbabwe money yeah, I had a ten billion dollars Zimbabwe bill. I would show people, and they go, "Oh, that's Zimbabwe money." They're like, "That's not U.S. dollars." And and I kind of go, "But you got to realize when they made the Zimbabwe money, they didn't start out and say, "Hey, let's print some money. Let's make billion dollar bills, five billion dollar bills, trillion dollar bills." Forget the ones and twos. You know, I mean, that's what happened over time. They don't. Most people don't don't think that way. They just think, "Oh." They kind of feel in their mind, oh, that's Zimbabwe money. They and they're, they're thinking maybe they, they that's how they print their money. But I I I don't know for certain because I haven't been there or following that money. But I would think they started out with one dollar, five dollar, ten dollar, twenty dollar. Yeah, bill. and then it, it slips out of control uh, over time. Now I think that like people will say, oh well, you know, it slipped out of control because their government sucks. Well. Look, like it's not like the government here in the U.S. or in Europe. It's not like these governments are filled with geniuses either. I mean, it, every whether you're on the left or the right, everyone is complaining about the government all the time. So to think that, oh, but somehow they're they're not competent to do anything that you have wanted them to do, but they can't keep the money a okay. Yeah, and it's like a congressman I saw. I can't even remember if it was a Democrat or Republican, but they were speaking about. The Philippines, and they were saying they thought we needed to stop people from going. I think it was the Philippines. It may have been a U.S. territory somewhere down there. Because if too many people kept going over there, there'd be too many people, and it would flip over. 
It was capsized. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, thought it was a ship. Yeah, they tried to go, well, he was just joking. But I, he wasn't joking. I saw the conversation. He really thought the island was floating, I guess. He didn't realize it went down <laughs> to the bottom of the ocean. And then yeah. at the Libra hearing, there was a congressman who thought they were talking about LIBOR, which is the uh, exchange rate, or sorry, the uh, uh, interest rate that banks use. And he like was completely clueless. It's 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 a miracle these people like figure out how to get through their day without killing themselves. But um, <laughs> yeah. and that guy on the financial committee or something. Yeah, he didn't know the difference between LIBOR and Lib Libra. I mean, and that's what he's doing in the government for us. That was kind of scary. And then the uh, chairperson of the House Finance Committee, um, Maxine Waters, she's been in trouble actually uh, lobbying for, I, I forget if it was her husband's or some relative of hers had a, a bank that was in trouble and it got TARP money thanks to her lobbying. So like these people are totally corrupt. Yeah, I think uh, it was her and, husband. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know why people would uh, inherently trust the U.S. dollar more than the Zimbabwe dollar. It's going in the same direction. It's just a matter of time. And it'll probably just take longer since it is the, the world currency. Well, presumably with the dollar, because the Federal Reserve is independent, that it allows them to uh, be a little stricter with the uh, inflation and with the issuance. But, you know, we're hearing people say, now, when, when Trump's in charge, you know, they're talking about, oh, the Fed should not be independent. Uh, I think it'll be the same story when a Democrat is in charge and they'll be talking about how the Fed should not be independent because everyone, you know, deserves a job and the government should print money. To this, do has this, been, this has been an American political battle for for decades. I mean, this is... Well, centuries, right? Like, it goes... Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, like, I mean, since the beginning, you know? Like, this is the Greenbacker movement, it's like, oh, well, let's just have Congress in charge of the money. It's like, I'm actually like happier with the Fed in many ways. Assuming uh, you don't want, assuming you're not an accelerationist. If you right, want it to right. go to shit, then you definitely want Congress and the president to uh, be directly in charge of uh, monetary policy. Yeah, if you're definitely right about that. Um, you, you know, uh, who's the guy, Yang, who's running for yeah. president? He wants to give everybody $10,000 a year. Wow, that's I, I think 12, I'm voting for. Don't don't shortchange. Oh yeah, twelve thousand. I think, and it doesn't matter. You just get twelve thousand, no matter what you make. You get twelve grand. Yes. So I'm kind of going out. That's kind of a no lose deal for me. I get twelve grand. What's going on? And then my BTC is going up at a good rate because all this money being printed. So it's, I'm kind of win win deal. ETA plan. <laughs> there, there was. There's a famous quote. Um, I forget who said it. That uh, the democracy, like fails when people realize that they can vote to give themselves more money. Uh, and I think that we've re finally reached that point. And now- Well, we've uh, reached that point with Congress. They definitely take advantage of that. Yeah. So we'll see. Now, on the uh, it's funny because the on the academia side, now they're promoting mo modern monetary theory, which is like trying to rationalize how do we uh, print a crap ton of money and pretend it makes sense. So. I think they're like reverse engineering that, which is fine by me from a Bitcoin perspective, but amusing from a uh, monetary economics perspective. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All I know is, you know, this money is just going down no matter. Yeah, this money's been going down 2% a year since the early 1900s. Well, you and know, then you and had periods like the 70s where it was going down like 10 to 20% a year uh, throughout the 70s with much higher inflation. 
Well, now they're wanting to do more things with money than they ever did in the past, as far as making more of it and giving it away. I mean, the sad thing with MMT is the people that it's being propagandized at, or you know, the people who get hurt most um, from these policies. Oh yeah, yeah. the people that it's supposed to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because yeah. You're definitely right. There's no I mean, way because they, they they basically say too. There's like you can just print however much you want, and then taxation is this is the magic uh, you know levers you pull to take the money back out of the economy. So it's like first they tax you by printing the money, and then they tax you when they take away the money, uh, and they just tax, tax, tax. And yeah, they, I just saw. They, is it in, was it in California or Washington that the state court? It went to court and they just said it was legal for the state government to have a special tax for rich people or rich companies to take more from them than everyone else because they're successful. You know, um, so, you know, how long do you think it'd be, Michael, before all those companies come to Texas and they're all here? It's and then no one, then there's not, no one to tax. I mean, they've, uh, that's been a successful strategy so far. Um, yeah, but Texas the only does. thing is, is that they come here and then they go, you know, we want to make this like California, which, yeah, they, right, just, right. which they just left. Yeah, that, that's the unfortunate thing is, uh, you know, this is Peter Thiel talks about how um, failure is overrated because people don't necessarily necessarily actually learn from failure. The The common notion is that, oh, you fail and then you you look at the situation, you have a postmortem, it's like, oh, that's why I fail, and now I'm not going to. Uh, but in reality, it can actually be very difficult to pinpoint the exact uh, mechanisms of failure. And uh, I also think that like people subconsciously don't want to pinpoint the source of failure, right, as a way of protecting their ego. And right. it's much better for them to find a scapegoat than it is to actually like reflect on what they did wrong. Yeah, so it's just oh, well, the you know the government you know did something. And it's like yeah, or the Jews or yeah, you know. yeah, <laughs> or you know whoever it is, uh, you know, and then and then yeah, and so because of that, you know, yeah, I I do suspect that you know I I I do know plenty of people, uh, refugees from California who uh, came came to Texas because they they like guns and they like not paying taxes. Um, but for all of those, I suspect there's many more who um, have no clue why it is that they're having to leave a state that was once, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, paradise uh, right. here in the United States. Right. You know, when I, I grew up in South Carolina and in South Carolina, when I was a kid, we had a lot of people, a young adult, we had a lot of people moving in from up north. And we would say, always say, you know, in, in South Carolina, they're real pro part of being rebels and stuff, you know. So they always would say, you got Yankees and you got damn Yankees. And Yankees are people that just moved to South Carolina because they moved there. And damn Yankees were people who moved there and kept saying, you know, it was so much better in New York. <laughs> in New York or New Jersey, we did this. This was better. And they're going, you know, who were always complaining about how much better it was where they came from. Those right, right. Uh, and I, I feel this way all the time, especially in Austin, because Austin, uh, if there's a place in Texas for the damn Yankees, it's Austin. 
Uh, yeah, they're always saying how much better it was where they left. And yeah, I'm, or likewise. Go, Why'd you I'd, leave then if it's so great? Or likewise, in San Francisco, I'd be, uh, you know, someone would ask me where I'm from, and I'd say I'm from Texas, and they'd give me this look like, oh, you're, you know, disgusting, you know, backwards, hmm. backwards person. Um, what you said to her oh, from Austin? Where in, going, where oh, in yeah. Texas? And then, yeah. yeah, I'd say Austin. And they're like, oh, <laughs> it's like the one good place. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to go to Austin. My home. Yeah. And Austin's not the only place that uh, I've lived in Texas. I, yeah, yeah. When you say it's very it's offensive. Austin, yeah, a lot of people, as a matter of fact, tell me that when I'm somewhere else and I say I'm from Texas, they go, oh, we love Austin. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> All right. Well, don't go to Austin uh, next month. Go to Dallas uh, on August 17th and 18th. And uh, well, you know where to, else they need to go? Where else? They need to go to bitblockboom.com. That's right. So they Bitblock can get their ticket. And they can buy a ticket for the register for the SNI, SNI dinner and go to Pierre's event on Friday. But they need to go there for sure. Absolutely. Bitblockboom.com. There's going to be Tone Vase, Jimmy Song, Saifedina Moose, of course, myself, Michael Goldstein, Mike Schmidt from Blockstream. If you haven't met him, you need to meet him. Uh, Marty Bent, Matt O'Dell. So many. Oh, and now uh, Ray Redacted was like my favorite like person who I met for the first time in Dallas at the last conference. Uh, he was talking about like his background is infosec, like uh, you know information security and figuring out how to not get wrecked by the scammers and the uh, hackers out there. And he had a great presentation on how to try to protect yourself more, protect your, your digital life and your, your Bitcoin better. Um, so you'll definitely want to not miss uh, that. And uh, and then you can ask him questions afterwards. So Hey, hey have you seen the uh, that cartoon Bitcoin and Friends yet? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, th this isn't guaranteed in the bag, but it's, it looks like it might happen. They're going to premiere episode three of Bitblock Boom if they can get it made in time. Awesome. Oh, yeah, it takes a while to make one of those. I didn't realize how long it took. So that is the plan right now. But I don't have it down because they aren't 100% sure they'll get it down. But they're trying to uh, make episode three of the uh, uh, Bitcoin and Friends, and we'll pre premiere it at Bitblock Boom. So Fantastic. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. All right, get your ticket at bitblockboom.com so you can uh, see the uh, premiere of the third episode of Bitcoin and Friends. Yeah, hopefully that happens now that I said it. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping I put There's some a lot pressure, pressure on it. Put some well, pressure on them. <laughs> yeah, if if uh, if it doesn't happen, there's a lot of other things that are happening at the conference, and uh, and and try to make a a, a a vacation of it. So stay a little longer and come a little early. And there there's a lot of things going on around it, which are on the website. And and they um, need to get the they need to make sure and do the brunch because that was a blast last year. Oh yeah, absolutely. On Sunday on we Sunday. have the Bitcoin brunch. They need to make sure and do, don't just think you come Saturday and leave. You need to stay for the brunch. Oh, and this time there won't be the World Cup dis uh, distracting Saifedean. And we've <laughs> yeah. got a and we've got a much bigger room this time too. So I mean, you know, we're, that's going to be really nice. Awesome. Looking forward to it, Gary. Um, thanks for organizing this conference. I think that it's nice to have it in in what I consider to be my home state. Uh, and I'm actually moving back pretty soon. So. Well, you guys uh, have been a big help. I mean, really, you guys have really helped us start. Oh, you know what else we need to mention, though? I'm sorry to keep saying that, but it's true. Uh, if they use the code SNI at checkout, they save uh, 30%. I don't want them missing out on that. There so, you go. Use yeah. SNI. Yeah, so make sure if you're if you're buying a ticket, use the code SNI and save yourself 30%, dudes. 
Now, if you don't want to save 30%, don't use the code and help support the conference. So then it'll be even uh, bigger and nicer next year. So Yeah, that's true. It'd be bigger and nicer this year. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, what I'm putting into it directly is proportion to, you know, how the ticket sales go. So, yeah, if you if you just want to support it, make sure you get everything that every option there is. <laughs> <laughs> Buy extra tickets, even if uh, you don't have. And then find find some extra people, hopefully not uh, homeless people in Dallas. But uh, and maybe become a sponsor and we'll become just a say sponsor. sponsored by Joe. <laughs> yeah. Individuals can sponsor it as well. You won't get to speak, but you can sponsor. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks, Gary, for coming on. We're looking forward to it. Hey, I've enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for asking me on. I can't wait to see you guys uh, next month. I can't wait for our barbecue. I can't wait for I'm going to have to get together those guys. I don't know if I need to bring a couple of guns out there for them to use at the gun range. But we're going to have a great time. I know that for sure. It's going to be fantastic. We'll see you then, Gary. Adios. Bye. are big and bright deep in the heart of texas the prairie sky is wide and high deep in the heart of texas the coyotes wail along the trail deep in the heart of texas the rabbits rush around the brush Deep in the heart of Texas.